Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. And this is Proz the Sandman, giving patients the TKO in the hospital and over the radio waves. Everybody resolves they're going to find some way to be more fit. Now, well, most people resolve. I personally go to the gym so rarely I still call it James. <laughs> well, thankfully, you're not one of those jerks that used to like free up, that used to load up the treadmills every time I tried going for the first week in January. I was always secretly happy when they all phased out and I could use my machines in peace. And the average length of time is about two weeks, and there have been one or two studies to that effect. So those of you who are regular gym goers, stick it out. Uh, and those of you who are doing it out of resolutions, uh, stick it out. So yeah. everybody, just keep on. That, that gives us a good lead-in to talk about running and what running does to your health and what kind of risks it poses to your health. I mean, I've had this personal love-hate relationship with running myself. It's always advertised as being very healthy in terms of like, you know, strengthening your heart, strengthening your lungs, strengthening many muscle groups in between, burning fat, etc. We're starting to see now that uh, running and many other sports that have heavy cardio vascular strain can also potentially increase your risk of infection, right? It's true. Be careful of exercise. It could kill you. Dun, dun, dun. So exercise and changes in immunity have a proven relationship. But as Sandman mentioned, very heavy sports increase infectious risks, specifically uh, infections of the lung or upper respiratory infections. And the risks are highest to catch one of these, especially during the one to two weeks 
after heavy training. So in a marathon, about a third of athletes who ended the marathon, meaning completed it, we're not even talking about went for the best time or whatever, just 33% of athletes who ended a marathon got an upper respiratory tract infection during the first two weeks. So there is what you would call a J-shaped relationship between physical activity and URIs. That meaning that if you're doing no exercise, you have a certain baseline risk. And when you start exercising, that risk goes down to a point because then if you continue doing exercise into a heavy training one, the risk starts to go up again and in fact climbs above the risk of doing nothing at all. Yeah. Do you actually know the story of how the marathon first came into um, existence, Josh? The marathon was won by the Greek army, but nobody was there to tell their village of the victory. So they sent their fastest soldier, I believe his name was Phidippides, to run back to town. So Phidippides ran nonstop 26.2 miles from the battle site to his village, where he bravely informed the village of his victory and then pre proceeded to drop dead. The point I'm trying to make here, I guess, doing marathon training and exercising to that level can certainly be detrimental in many ways. And it's not usual or out of the ordinary to presume that it could weaken your immune system, predispose you to infections and put you at risk in other ways. Which is an excellent point. And if you're training for a marathon, you would be well advised to limit or eliminate heavy training and instead go for longer term training. Absolutely. It's the whole idea. Weight training has the same premise. You don't go straight to the gym and try to lift 225. You start with lower weights and gradually work your way up. And running is no different in that respect either. Do you, bro, do you lift? Bruh, I drink my muscle milk. I wear my tank top that I got from Long Island, where I'm actually from. To answer your question, though, I did a good amount of weightlifting for about two years or so before I started studying martial arts. And then I started going to the gym much less frequently or at all. But I certainly did um, do it for a while, and it certainly did have a lot of benefits. But it is also a sport that requires moderation and patience and long-term conditioning. That's an excellent point. And uh, what about you, Dr. Santosh? Do you even lift? <laughs> oh, hi, guys. This is Dr. Santosh. So I do a different form of resistance training, uh, resistance training by uh, doing rock climbing. Wow. So um, that's gravity-assisted weight training. Um, and then a series of like floor calisthenics, um, which are like push-ups, pull-ups, those kind of things. So using my own body weight as the weight rather than... Right near Muscle Beach with all the power weightlifters. The Venice Beach weightlifting, I think it's a great example of having a public gym where people can observe people lifting weights because actually the the guys who and gals who lift there are quite professional and they're very careful but too much heavy training as we were saying before you entered uh, can actually increase your risk of a respiratory infection yeah. such as the cold flu or any number of other assorted viruses and since uris are one of the most common types of diseases in humans it's significant that they have a pretty high prevalence in athletes, and about 30 to 40% of referrals to sports medicine clinics are for URIs, um, whereas a normal healthy adult gets an infection up to six times annually, a professional athlete could suffer from as many as Whoa. 10 to 12 in a year. 
Yeah, this is um, this is a more than likely uh, a consequence of close sequestering, right? So when we're little kids, we're we're in school and preschool, we get a ton of upper respiratory infections. The prototypical kid in daycare is that snotty little bugger, right? That's that has a runny nose year round. And you don't know if it's allergies or if it's a cold. And more than likely, they're just passing these respiratory viruses back and forth. Well, the same thing happens in environments like locker rooms, you know, if you're a um, team sport type of athlete, or if uh, you're using the same equipment and that piece of equipment is being shared by multiple people who are not washing their hands between you know, every use of like a, a piece of weight yeah, or Anyone a hot who goes tub to a gym, as I observed when I was going to my gym, as I mentioned, anybody who goes to a gym is going to be sweating all over the equipment and getting all types yeah. of like bodily fluids and stink everywhere. Well, not all kinds, but you know. Yeah. So if you're a gym rat, if you really go to the gym a lot and you're not, you know, you don't have a habit of like washing every surface before you use it, spraying it down and then washing your hands and stuff before touching your face and, you know, your mouth and everything with that dirty old towel that you carry around to mop up sweat, um, then, yeah, you're going to transmit these things. Okay. Now, admittedly, I'm not a huge fitness person, but... Rats are not <laughs> traditionally known for their hygiene, so I would encourage you. I didn't mean that instead, they're actually. Instead, oh. I would encourage you to be a gym raccoon. Swimmer raccoon, known for gym- <laughs> okay. Or or a gym All otter. Right, well then. <laughs> nope, raccoons. Raccoons are very hygienic, they and are. you can give them. You can give them food and they will wash it. And a bunch of scientists were giving them big sugar cubes and the rats would put it in the water to clean it and then get very sad (laughs) when it kept disappearing. When it kept disappearing in the water, yeah. That's actually – yeah, raccoons get a bad rap. But on the other hand, I'll say they also have giant appendixes in their intestinal tract which harbor this like mass amount of – bacteria which actually destroy and break down a lot of things which would otherwise poison us done okay gym raccoons not gym rats Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. done (laughs) now we've already said a long time or gym or like gym humans like humans nope you wash your hands nope animals only (laughs) that's what beast mode means I hate that you're using these puns and you've never I'm once sure seen, seen the inside of a gym. Yeah, sure I did. I looked at one's x-ray last week. <laughs> oh, which friggin' which gym, brings up, Which brings up the point that chest x-ray has no role in determining when you can return to a sport with an upper respiratory infection. Depending on what sport you're practicing, it should be a gradual response based on your signs and symptoms. And Really, you should have at least 10 to 14 days of mild exercise before you start up even more moderate training. So figure two days of light exercise for every day of rest. Now, if you're somebody who exercises moderately, which would be five to 60 minutes within a range of 40 to 60% of your maximum heart rate, that actually is the best way to improve your immunity. So moderate aerobic exercise of about an hour each day. And Santosh, you can 
check my facts on this, but <laughs> okay. your neutrophil and salivary IgA concentration and secretion rates increase mm-hmm. after after moderate exercise with about 61% of at least runners reporting fewer annual respiratory tract infections after they started running, whereas only about 4% reported more. And, you know, as far as we know, those were marathon trainers. So (laughs) this suggests that the incidence drops almost 20 to 30% in people who exercise moderately compared with couch potatoes. Yeah, this is, um, I think, Praz, you'll attest to this, you being like a regular exerciser, a moderate amount of regular exercise such that, you know, rather than doing this feast and famine kind of thing, right, where you just have a regular routine of breaking a sweat every day. They're surprised that, yeah. like, uh, moderate exercise is defined by as little as five minutes a day. That kind of seems a an intense exercise. For yeah, that, that was weird. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah. the point the point pros is how long it takes you to get to 40 40 to 60% of maximum heart rate. If you are so out of shape that you're achieving that kind of rate just from climbing a flight of stairs, that counts as moderate exercise. And if you go into a higher heart rate, <laughs> then you're in severe, yeah. not severe okay. exercise, intense <laughs> exercise or heavy training. That makes oh, a lot more he's sense. he's severely exercising um, well, Yes, no, I completely agree. And um, exercising regularly and how getting in shape is a long-term thing. It's a process that you have to do like regularly and continually to get to that point where you really condition yourself physically. We're talking about intense or severe exercise. That's 70 to 80% of your maximum heart rate for five to 60 minutes. And prolonged exercise at that rate, which is great, or prolonged exercise, which is any exercise over 60 minutes, can start having detrimental effects on your immune system, partly because from a physiological standpoint, exercising harder increases how much oxygen your body requires. That means you have to transition from Mm -hmm. nose breathing to mouth breathing, right? You're just not going to be able to get big enough gasps of of air. So -hmm. you're bypassing a lot of your immunoprotective factors, such as the nasal hairs or this rich uh, protective beard. And mustache. <laughs> I had a vision of you, which was rather grotesque, just breathing through your beard, like these weird <laughs> gill-like respiratory organ sci-fi yeah. CGI thing. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, Josh is the one who who talked mm-hmm. about it, so that's. I, well, I'll I'll put a caveat on this one in that we human beings are endurance creatures. We're not very good at, you know, quick anaerobic bursts, although you can do it, but it's going to be detrimental over time. I I will say that given enough time and training, the threshold of tolerability for exercise can be pushed and pushed and pushed to a point where you have these like ultra runners who are actually not getting past that 60% of maximal heart rate threshold, but they are going for very long periods of time. Um, and, and that holds true for a few others like endurance swimmers uh, and bikers also. Though They actually do just fine at these extremes of exercise, but only but because they've built themselves up to that point over a lot of time. Tara Humara or the Raramuri. 
I learned about these guys in an awesome book called Born to Run. Yes, I know. Um, by Christopher McDougal. And then there are other books you can find on them, but they're called The Running People. Um, and they're, they're actually uh, tribes of people that live around the Copper Canyons. There you go, folks. Running. Not as healthy as advertised unless you are doing it in moderate degrees. Uh, so... You know, whenever I hear the phrase push the envelope, Santosh, mm-hmm. I always imagine somebody's just sliding a big manila envelope across the desk going, there's I, a damn envelope. I, you know what? I, I know you love etymology. I would love to find out where push the envelope came from. I have no idea. They were originally made from a hemp too, derived from the Philippines. <laughs> Well, I mean, I spent I the first, I don't know, 15 years of my life saying vanilla envelope because that <laughs> made the most sense. Because, of course, you look at it, it's a vanilla envelope. <laughs> so yes. I'm glad we were able to it bring you in contact with this new definition. And just like that, we're back on track. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, yeah, we got three. I think we got three tangents deep. Back before you on track. <laughs> the next yeah. most common source of sports related injuries and infections is from contact sports specifically the infectious diseases you can acquire from you know just casually dabbling in sports like uh, american football or australian style rugby wrestling mm-hmm. sumo so even though URIs are the most common infections in runners, skin infections are the most common injury associated across the sports world. Uh, presumably all the Who body knew? bashing and face-to-face smearing does wonders for spreading cutaneous infections. So <laughs> one of the first ones I want to talk about, not because it's particularly dangerous, but because it's fun <laughs> to say, is herpes gladiatorum. And I want you yeah. to picture Russell Crowe. Destroying <laughs> your... Yeah. Just blisters all over. Just. Right. Just covered, covered in blisters because herpes gladiatorum is a tricky little bugger of a virus. You Just when you think you've got it beat, it can remain dormant, hiding away in training in your body's coliseum in nerve cells known as the sensory ganglia only to spring out and lead rebellions on one's (laughs) face or genitals during periods of physical or emotional stress. Yeah. Just, I do gladiators do that. Father to a murdered vesicle. (laughs) Husband to an antiviral legion. Oh my God. I knew it. I knew you had scripted this out already, you psychopath. (laughs) Are you not entertained? (laughs) This makes sense considering that herpes gladiatorum is spread by respiratory droplets or direct contact with infected lesions since you really have to get up close and personal in someone's face if you want to get a sense of what an HSV infection feels like. You know, the most common transmission, HSV1, HSV2, is contact, right? Skin-to-skin contact. So cold sores, you know, they happen when um, you usually um, from yes. kissing, something like that. Uh, <laughs> genital herpes. Well, uh, from doing wrestling shows the just as much skin-to-skin contact, possibly even I don't more know what that than yeah. sex. Yeah. <laughs> figure, like, if that's, that's the case, the... somebody is doing one of them wrong. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it's that, but you're also doing things like sharing towels. You share equipment. <laughs> um, I don't know how often singlets get, get passed around. And uh, uh, are, are we still to... talking about wrestling? Y- yes. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> um, you yeah, you sometimes share the same spaces, uh, close spaces like therapeutic hot tubs, uh, which leads to a few other skin diseases from bacteria rather than viruses as well, like hot tub folliculitis. The herpes virus can also stay alive on surfaces for short periods of time. But if those surfaces are being contacted by different people very, very frequently, um, then, you know, that's another mode of transmission for the virus. So, Hey, hey, how do you tell if a wrestler is right or left-handed? How do you tell if a... A wrestler is right or left hand. You check which side of their face, head, or neck has the greatest amount of uh, herpes lesions. (laughs) Where's the because? (laughs) Because I bet you thought that was a joke, didn't you? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was. Yeah, I thought that was disgusting. No, because athletes (laughs) will tend to prominently use the most powerful side of their body, regardless of the sport. So that's the side they're going to keep bringing into contact with other people. So if they develop any kind of rash, infection, local trauma, bruises, things like that, it's all going to be on (laughs) the side that you use more prominently, which is your dominant side. So that's how you can tell. If a wrestler or a general sports general, player is right or left-handed. General, right. Okay, hey. yes, general. Yeah, I said a general sports okay. player. General oh, sports. sports. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, in fact, when it comes to athletes getting infections, MRSA uh, colonization of football players is now becoming so commonplace that some researchers huh. have suggested using them as human sentinels to, for public health surveillance outbreaks. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. So you could swab their noses, or uh, you know, something like that, to actually surveil. You guys, MRSA. there's a the yeah. football play, The entire Philadelphia Eagles have MRSA. A swarms are coming. <laughs> You're talking about because they're coming to LA to the Coliseum to play the Rams this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I meant. <laughs> Well, you know, the visitors get their own locker room and, you know, I don't know what they're going to be doing, like partying around L.A. That being said, I mean, we're in a big metropolitan area. It's Los Angeles. About 50 to 60 percent of us are already colonized with community acquired MRSA. So I just like the idea of human sentinels standing guard to warn the rest of the community when there is a MRSA outbreak occurring. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just it. I I I love the 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 idea that their like physical strength a great translates to like immunological, you know, so they can literally like punch Mercer to death. <laughs> HSP is considered. Yeah. It, it has a lot of different names depending on the sport, which is kind of fun, I guess. Okay. Uh, so yeah. another one of the ones I found is it's v- just like MRSA is very common in football. HSV-1 is particularly endemic in rugby players due to both the style of the sport, 
very similar in many ways to American <laughs> football, and the complete lack of protective gear. Yeah, going around with pads and helmets on. The hell's wrong with you? Um, yeah. <laughs> or as it's called, scrum pox, which sounds oh, way yes, dirtier. Yes, that is really tough. But that makes sense because you get in the scrum, right, to go after the ball. And so then you pass I the know pox about as on much as rugby as you It is a sensational football. way to spread HSV1. Proz, do you watch rugby? You seem like you watch rugby. Thing and... <laughs> in the huddle or the scrum, players in the forward position interlock their heads with their opponents in facing rows before the ball is launched between them. These forwards are the most likely of their teammates to contract herpes rugbyorum, also known as scrum pox. A couple of things, actually. One, just because a person passes on HSV, it doesn't mean that the next recipient is going to have a lot of outbreaks of HSV or herpes simplex. We're all a little bit different immune system to immune system, and some people control the virus very well, so they don't break out at all. And others tend to have really bad recurrent outbreaks along their skin and everywhere in between. So at best, you're completely asymptomatic. And at worst, you, you may need an antiviral to help control, uh, you know, the number of outbreaks. The best way to treat any pain is to find the source of the pain and treat it straight on. So if the pain right. is coming from skin vesicles, the best medication to use then are then um, topical medications, usually topical creams that go on top of the lesions or sores that would not only treat the virus, but also try to affect the pain over there. Aside from the topical antivirals, maybe using like topical lidocaines or topical uh, antivirals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So numb it up a little well. bit and so, make you feel better. Um, as I've been doing contact sports for a little over two years now, about two years ago, I started studying Taekwondo, which doesn't have quite the skin-to-skin -skin level contact <laughs> that you might find in wrestling or uh, sumo, rugby, etc. I can certainly relate to what you were saying about my right side, my stronger side, getting more injuries and feeling more like joint and wrist issues um, after given days in class. But yeah, no, after having done it for this long, I'm about to test for my final colored belt, uh, which we call Bodan Stripe. Typically, they'll make you wait about six months or so, sometimes longer, and then I'd qualify for the next uh, black belt test, which will be sometime this year. Well. Sandman, now that you've won Taekwondo, what are you going to do next? That, <laughs> that is true. But the fact of the matter is, like, earning colored belts is just the first step to earning a black belt. It's like in medicine, when you finish residency and you finish all those years of training, you haven't yet mastered the practice of medicine. That is a skill that takes years and years of perfection and repetition and continuous lifelong learning before you could really yeah. call yourself a master in whatever your field is. Uh, likewise, when you start Taekwondo, achieving a black belt is essentially just like earning a reasonable level of competency. There are degrees in black belt, uh, the highest being ninth degree. And each degree takes years rather than months to achieve. Hmm. So what kind of injuries awesome. do you... Minor ligament and tendon injuries over um, ever since I started doing this. Taekwondo is very heavy on stretching. Uh, one thing that we're known for is uh, doing head level kicks. It's about 
90% of what we do is like perfecting kicks and spinning kicks that level. So stretching is very, uh, very highly emphasized. So when we stretch, um, we have a tendency to overdo it. And I have some chronic inflammation in various tendons, like my lower extremities. We kick our targets, right? And we do speed kicking on targets, um, punching bags. And it tends to like bruise our skin quite a bit or really like erode our skin, I should say, to the point where we develop little like uh, stigmata lesions on our feet. That's it for this week. But now that we've had a number of our co-hosts out and traveling, they're going to be returning to us with some new... Yeah, this was in the beginning of December. I've been to the Philippines now four times. My wife actually is native to the Philippines. Earlier in the year, you heard me talk about Cebu, which was well, I should say last year, I talked about Cebu, the beach town where we went to and I swam with the whale sharks and did the waterfalls and did all that. This time we went to a different area of the Philippines called uh, the Batangas, which is the beach area. It's about um, about a three-hour drive outside of uh, Metro Manila, um, possibly longer depending on how much traffic you have. But it's a relatively secluded area, isolated and very, very natural, very scenic. Um, the water is always warm and 80 degrees, which was lovely having come from the snow and 20 degree weather um, at the time that I had left. Uh, on the way back from Batangas to the Philippines, you could run into Mindanao, which is um, uh, the volcano city. There's a large active volcano in the middle of the Philippines. I recently became like mildly um, proficient, very mildly proficient in a Filipino dance known as tinikling, uh, which involves uh, using bamboo sticks and dancing between and around them as other partners take the steps and clap them while trying not to get your feet stuck in between. It's very cool. Wait, wait, that's the one, the two rods, right? So they go clap, 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 clap. And and the rods come together on the third one. Yes, yes. I was very excited about this. So after I did this, I got very excited about (laughs) tinickling. And um, uh, if there would be any cool tinickling bars that we could just like go to in the Philippines, or, you know, you could just like have a few beers, have a shot or two, and then just bust out the bamboo sticks. Sadly enough, there was no such place. Uh, also, I don't think any of the Filipino, native Filipinos that I spoke to, including my parents-in-law, uh, would even know how to do nickling. <laughs> yeah, they don't nickel very well. So, unfortunately. Yeah, so I was really looking forward to a good nickling when I got there. Uh, so you're I saying that Filipinos do not tinickle each other nearly um, as often as you but, thought they would. For the love of <laughs> So if any of you know where please, please. where Praz can get tinickled oh, next time he returns to the Philippines, please, please send us your comments That'd and be awesome. uh, questions in the links. I love that okay. dance, by the way. I am a million percent sure that I'm going to get my ankles crushed if I try it. (laughs) So that is it for this week. For those of you who didn't get... Can I tell you guys what push the envelope is all about? It's actually an engineering term. It doesn't have to do with a vanilla envelope. Aviators or engineers who are designing airplanes have something called a flight envelope, which is when you actually chart or graph the plane's capabilities for a safe flight 
including its speed, its altitude, and engine, you hit a part uh, called of, where, of the confluence of those curves called an envelope, wherein if you keep those parameters within the envelope, you stay in steady flight and, and safe flight. But if you push past the envelope huh. in any of those parameters, such as speed uh-huh. or altitude or pitch or yaw or something, then you're pushing past that envelope. You're pushing the capabilities of the airplane. And it was, it was made popular in Tom Wolfe's book about the space program called The Right Stuff in 1979. One of the phrases that kept running through the conversation was pushing the outside of the envelope. That seemed to be the great challenge and satisfaction of a flight test. So you take a plane that's been designed, engineered, and built, and then you go and be like, <laughs> what if we do things this thing was not designed to do? And that's how you push the envelope. <laughs> so yeah, you really push the envelope for this there. Week. Yeah, damn right. <laughs> we will be back in the future with an episode devoted specifically to football because I know I cannot get away without doing that. So, in the meantime, we always love to hear from you. Please leave your questions, comments, or concerns on any of the sites listed in the show notes. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes as well. Or you can just listen to this show on Radio Public, which pays us a teeny little amount every time you listen. And that is Happy just travels, dandy. everyone. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. The show is produced by me with a lot of help from all my co-hosts. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye-bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.